Hello, Three Song Stories listeners. This is Angela Page. I was on a previous episode, episode four, of Three Song Stories, and I'm here to tell you that WGCU is in pledge right now. We would love for you to contribute, and there are some easy ways for you to do that. You can call 1-800-533-9428 or go to wgcu.org slash radio uninterrupted. You know, uh, it is a podcast. It's not a radio show, but we make it at a radio station, and the strength of the radio station is directly connected to the strength of this podcast. So if you want to keep this going, support this radio station now during this pledge campaign. That's right. We work here at a public radio station, which means that the dollars we get during drives like the one we're in right now pay for the shows, and that frees us up to do work like like this show. So if you have been listening, and maybe you don't live in, uh, in the Fort Myers area and you've been listening, but you want to support us as a station to keep making three song stories, go ahead and call 800-533-9428 or Go to WGCU.org slash Radio Uninterrupted, or you can go on the WGCU app and give right there. There's a button right there on the app to give. However you want to do it, we'd be happy to have that happen. Support the shows you listen to. So one more time, keep listening and donate by calling 1-800-533-9428 or visit WGCU.org slash Radio Uninterrupted. Thanks. One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that generates biography using songs that connect our guests to memories and moments from their lives. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike and Irie. My guest this episode is Megan Kissinger. Megan's an acrylic painter and artist who's interested in conservation and ecology. She grew up on Perdido Bay in the Florida Panhandle and says she's always been close to nature. Her background in scientific illustration informs her artwork and she says drives her to make viewers aware of how everything in the world is connected in some way. She loves to find and portray wild places and the beauty and magic they contain, and her compositions reveal her fascination with light and line. Her bio says, quote, I can get lost in late afternoon and twilight shadows, sweeping and arching lines, and that when you get off the path and up close with nature, the web of life is so apparent. Oh, and besides being an artist, she's also a museum conservator at the Edison and Ford Winter Estates in Fort Myers. I met Megan during my time at the Alliance for the Arts, where she regularly shows her work, which I really love. And by that, I mean her work and the Alliance, I suppose. And based on her downright, forthright exuberance toward this project and how she's described how music and memory connect in her life and her art, I can't wait to see how this goes. Hey there, Megan. It's nice to see you in the real world. Hey, thanks for having me. How you been? Oh, well, as everybody always hears out of my mouth, it's busy. Busy. But, well, we're uh, all we're all busy. We're all busy. You know, I I got stuck in line behind a really slow person at Publix the other day. <laughs> and uh and when she finally when it when it finally cleared out, the cashier looked at me and was like, "I'm really sorry." And I was like, "You know what? It was actually kind of nice just yeah. <laughs> just standing here listening to music and air conditioning for a few minutes." Yeah. Anyway, in your message to me, you said you had five older brothers and sisters who blasted songs and some of which were not necessarily uh, age appropriate. Oh, so yes. let's start there. You said your first your <laughs> earliest mu- memory of a song was sneaking into your brother's room knowing he'd kick you out and it was an Iron Butterfly song. What's well, let's start yeah. with that. Yeah. In a gotta Davida baby. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think I was about four years old, and uh, uh, I heard this weird, you know, hallucinatory uh, organ music coming out of my brother's room, and I sneaked in there, and uh, every baby that ever was in any family knows they are never supposed to be in their teenage brother's bedrooms Mm -hmm. for any reason at all, and um, I snuck in, and... um, I was listening to this music, and I thought, oh my gosh, what is this, you know? And um, I knew any minute my brother was going to kick me out, but I couldn't stop listening to it. And uh, later on, when I was older, I, I realized, you know, um, what the music was and where it came from. It's a really long yeah, piece, yeah, if yeah. I remember correctly. Uh-huh. And uh, I looked it up later on, and I, I had a good laugh as far as, you know, uh, the meaning of the song. <laughs> 
Um, What's the short version of the meaning of the song? Short version is that the 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 guy who wrote the song was drunk, and he was writing about the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden. And um, when he showed it to his buddies and he was talking about this great song and I wrote and it's about the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden, he was so drunk he slurred his words and it, <laughs> sar- it, it sounded like Inagada Davida. And they said, you know, that's better than the actual name for the song. So that's what they named it. But yeah, earliest memories was, you know, my 14-year-old brother's bedroom, uh, knowing any second going to get kicked out for listening to that music. And you said this was up in the Panhandle? That's where you grew up? Yeah, I grew up um, on the Florida-Alabama border. Perito River and the Perito Bay area is the border between there. So like Sarah Palin could see Alaska, I could see Alabama. (laughs) Gotcha. And uh, yeah, it was a beautiful place to grow up. Um, uh, Besides, you know, being influenced by your brother's music, what was being played around the house and how was it being played? Oh, gosh. Well, it it depended on the brother or the sister, but my brother Mike was a lot of um, King Crimson, Moody Blues, Rolling Stones. Mm -hmm. Uh, My brother Brian was a little more on the Greg Almond, uh, Southern Rock, Leonard Skinner. Going down the line, my sister Mary was a huge Joni Mitchell fan. Um, Pretty good spectrum here. Al Stewart, (laughs) yeah. Kathy, on the other hand, she was into Journey and Van Halen and Pink Floyd. Um. And then my sister Rosie was younger than that yet, and she was in the college music scene. She listened to a lot of uh, Cure, Elvis Costello, um, you know, um, those guys. And uh, So when you got old enough to be in charge of what you were all about, what were your musical picks? Um, or were you just a product of all of them? Well, I was kind of at the tail end of the new wave, the the beginnings of MTV and all of that. Um, but I listened to, oh boy, early on I listened to a lot of ELO and Journey and um, that sort of thing. And it, I sort of graduated into, um, oh boy, a lot of heavy metal. Oh, yeah? Um, and uh, Pink Floyd. Um, oh boy, who else? I loved the Moody Blues. Alan Parsons' project was a big favorite. What was the first music you owned? Do you remember first having your music first I owned album was, or baby yeah. tape? Sticks. Um, oh, what was the name of that? The album with the face on the front. Sticks. Um, They're the Mr. Roboto guys, yep, right? Yep. Uh, I can't remember the name of the album, unfortunately, I but got, I remember I got, the face of the woman on the front. I got to take a real quick aside to tell my Sticks story. I once <laughs> had uh, the guitarist for Sticks on Gulf Coast Live. Oh. Because they were coming to town. And I, he, I said, tell me the short version of how you guys got started. And he tells this story about, you know, they were in a garage and then they finally signed their first record deal on February 22nd, 1972. And I went, that's the day I was born. And he was like, huh. February 22nd? I'm like, no, it's 1972. February, I was literally born on the day Styx was born. So anyway, got to get that's, that out into the universe. Oh, man. <laughs> that, that's heavy. <laughs> So uh, how did you wind up in Fort Myers, or what is the short version of the arc between Perdido Bay and Fort Myers? Oh, I fell in love. Um, I was at the University of West Florida, and um, I I think I was in the beginning of my – actually, the very beginning of my school term, and uh, I met a guy, and we were together at school uh, dating Bob. for the two years that it took him to get his degree. And um, so then after that, uh, he got his degree and we moved here. And uh, there was nowhere for me to get a degree. So So you've been yeah. here a long time. Yeah, 30, oh. 32 years. Okay, wow. Yeah, I moved I'm, here in 86. Oh, I moved here in 80. So yeah, we're, <laughs> we're old timers, relatively speaking. Yeah. Um, do you remember the first time music moving you uh, emotionally somehow in a way that was not just, oh, that's pop music. I like the way it sounds. Oh, boy. Um, well, I went 12 years to Catholic school. So I did a lot of singing and a lot of choirs. And um, I would say somewhere in fifth or sixth grade, um, we had to do this. Oh, I for, I'm a terrible Catholic. I can't remember when it is, but there's one, I think it's in Holy Week, that you sing this song in church called Tantum Ergo. Mm-hmm. 
and it's all in Latin. And uh, I remember our our chorus got picked to sing it, and it's a very long chant, and it's it can be done in English, but it's usually done in Latin if if the uh, if the church wants to be fancy about it, you know. And um, I remember uh, singing that chant and just feeling how beautiful it was. Um, sort of in in the space that we were singing. It was this old Spanish church that um, was connected to the school I went to. Um, and uh, just just the way the sounds sort of reverberated through. And mm-hmm. it was sort of a high mass, so there was incense and there was candlelight. And um, I just remember thinking how beautiful it was and how uh, it sort of connected me to history. You know, people had been singing that for mm-hmm. a millennia. And, and here I am, same, some little kid doing and it. And feeling know? that same sort of confluence of odor yeah. and light and space yeah. and like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, let's pivot to your first song. Okay. Do you um, do you want to tell a story before we hear it or do you want to listen to it and then tell your story? Um, let's listen to it. Okay. And uh, this is uh, Sea of Love, right? Yes. All right, and this is the Honey Drippers version. Yeah. Okay, Sea of Love, Honey Drippers version, recorded in What's going through your head while you're listening to that? <laughs> oh, boy. Mostly thinking about my husband, of course, because that was our song. Yeah? How did it become um, your song? Was it instantly your song? Did it grow to be your song? It sort of grew, yeah. We um, we were in college together and, of course, you know, in love. And, uh, and it was a song that was on the radio at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, one of our first real dates was walking on the beach and uh, going to a nice restaurant out on the beach. So, um, you know, it fit. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but the most important thing about this song is is uh, it's it's my very very best ghost story. Okay, our first uh, ghost story on three song stories, ghost stories. And so I have a witness, so <laughs> Bob's my witness. <laughs> as, as Bob is your witness. Yes, Bob is my witness. Um, uh, several years ago, um, when our kids were sort of middle school age, you know, that age where I think you can relate. that I got one. Uh, yeah. Um, my parents had some work they were doing on their house up in Pensacola. So we, we drove up there to help them. And they said, you know, you've been working so hard on this house all week. Why don't you go and do something fun? We'll watch the kids and we were gone to New Orleans that fast. Yeah, you're like, okay, and, done, uh, bye. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we had this wonderful weekend in New Orleans, and we got to do all of the things, you know, like second honeymoon stuff. We um, we got to uh, go on pub crawls, and we we went on a gumbo tour. And uh, but the night uh, before we left, we we had a chance to go out to the Garden District, and we were told about this um, nightclub out there that was really fun and oh you gotta go it's just the best thing so we hopped on the streetcar named desire went out to the garden district and got completely lost couldn't find the nightclub uh and it was getting late it was you know probably 10 o'clock and we were like well i guess it's not going to happen it must have closed because we looked for it everywhere and uh, we waited for the streetcar and it didn't pick us up right away and we, we didn't have that far to go, so we said, well, maybe we should walk, and we'll walk along the streetcar line. That way we can 
if the streetcar does into come it, by. Maybe, yeah. Right. So we're walking, and and the neighborhood sort of got off on that uh, not the touristy neighborhood sort of thing. It wasn't didn't look like a bad neighborhood. It just you could tell you you know if you're a tourist, you probably didn't need to be there. And um, there was uh, these little alcoves on the sides of the businesses. Um, that they you – know, old buildings all have them where they'd have big picture windows and a little alcove that you could get in out of the rain or whatever. And uh, so we were walking and this uh, man comes out from underneath one of these alcoves. He's got a guitar. And he says, oh, look at there, two young lovers. And it kind of made us nervous and we both kind of yeah. you know, were like, oh, boy. And he goes, well, I'll play your song for a dollar. And so we were like, oh, well, it's probably just a homeless guy looking for money. And at that point, we were we were a little scared. So um, my husband is really good at taking control of situation, and he pulls a dollar out of his pocket and walks up to the man, throws it in his guitar case, and he goes, well, you know, I really appreciate that, and, and you know, but we're trying to meet the trolley, and we don't have time, but God bless you, here's a dollar anyway. And uh, we turned around and started walking. And no sooner did we turn around, maybe walked 10 steps, the man started singing Sea of Love (laughs) on the guitar. And I looked at my husband and I said, did you tell him what our song was? And he said, no, did you? I said, no. Well, how did he know what our song was? And uh, he he sang it word for word, the whole song from beginning to end as we walked away. And I I wasn't going to turn around and ask him, you know, if he was a ghost and how did he know what our song was. But um, that's always been a really special song. If it comes on the radio, we stop and drop everything. And uh, my my son um, played uh, the the ukulele at my daughter's wedding and, and my husband and I danced to that. I was there. That's right. You were there. <laughs> That's right. I totally oh, forgot totally that. Oh, totally random. I totally forgot that too. My oh, head that's just weird, exploded. Megan. Yeah. <laughs> there are people listening are like, how could they not remember that? I'm like, no, really. I, yeah. What a weird coincidence. But yeah, it's a special song. Oh, that's awesome. Have you been back to New Orleans since? No. And, you know, we're thinking about doing it really soon. Um, we've, we you need to maybe find we... that same alley. I know exactly where it's at. Yeah. You need to I go do. back. Yeah. Um, so maybe we should do that. I, I have to look for that old guy. But, uh, yeah, every time we go to New Orleans, something eerie like that happens. Um, people, you know, walk up to us and tell us something and, and we walk away going, well, yeah, how did they know that that's what we were looking for, you know? Yeah. One day we were looking for a particular business and this man just walks over and says, you're looking for that. It's down that street, you know, and and we're you know, like, how did, how did that happen? Hmm. I don't believe in ghosts, but I think I believe in ghosts in New Orleans. Yeah. I'm going to pivot strangely maybe right now to, um, you know, Thomas Edison. <laughs> I um, know that guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you, you know, you, you spend a lot of time in the presence of, of his stuff and his spirit. And yeah. he's who invented the medium that provided the world, that created the memories that allow us to do this show. You know what I mean? It's oh, like, you know it. So do you think about – his impact on history and, and culture and art and all those things, or are you just sort of so, you know, it's just the stuff that's around you? I think about it all the time. Yeah? Um, yeah. I I realize some days just how much we swim in a world that was perfected by him, you know? Yeah, um, right down the street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and even better, we're in the place where he enjoyed himself. Exactly. Yeah. What little spare time and time off he took. Right. He was, which yeah. was almost nothing. Right. He took here. You know. So when I'm, you know, I'm in the houses and I'm working. I, I, I have these moments. You know, you have those historical, uh, holy crap moments. You know, hope yeah. I can say that. But um, where you look into a mirror, a bathroom mirror that's been there since he was there. Yeah. And you think, how many mornings did he wake up and look in this mirror while he was shaving? Right. Or I would certainly be thinking that all the time. So I'm glad other people think yeah. that way too. <laughs> and, and or you, you, uh, oh gosh, let's see. Uh, if if you're resetting the table for Christmas or something or for the holidays, and, and you happen to stand at the head of the table and you look down and you see the place settings and you see 
his chair and his dinner chimes and his uh, he's got a little secret button under the table. A lot of people didn't know that huh. uh, that he could call the uh, the help the the what do you call it the cook or yeah, the yeah. servers. Hmm. Or even if he just wanted to get away from the table and wanted people to leave him alone, he could, you know, yeah, yeah. push that button. Huh. And uh, just just everything. Um, he – a lot of people, you know, like to uh, – what's the word? Dish on Thomas Edison, the whole Edison-Tesla thing. And yeah, yeah. I think so much of that is manufactured. Um, people like a good fight. and I And I think Thomas Edison was a very intelligent person who – just loved what he did so much that there was very little room in his life for everything else, mm. you know. Um, but he did love people. He just loved people when he felt like dealing with them. And then when he was busy, he didn't want to deal with them. And and I get that a lot too because when I'm working on a project or on art, sometimes I want everybody to go away and leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. And, um, do so, you, do yeah. you do you listen to music while you're working either at work <laughs> like in uh, maybe, maybe be painting probably more likely than at at the Edison Estates but Believe it or not I listen to the music every morning because I'm there before all the tourists are there. So uh when I do my morning walk through there's nobody there You but... wearing like earbuds and, no, or no I blast it. <laughs> like like out of your phone or Out of my phone. Yeah, I mean as much as you can blast an iPhone Okay. But, um yeah, I I turn my phone on, put it in my back pocket. What are you playing? Like, are you playing Pandora or something like that? Or are you playing like files that are stored on your phone little through iTunes? Okay. Yeah, a little of both. If I can get the Wi-Fi to connect, I'll play Pandora. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, I don't like to stream Pandora without the Wi-Fi. Or Interesting to think of, you know, the Wi-Fi hotspots at the Edison home. Yeah. He would have loved that. Um, <laughs> so what about while you're making art? Do you listen to music while you're painting? Yeah. Um, the only exception there is that usually the art, uh, the, the music has to um, – not have words. Okay. So I listen to a lot of um, uh, what is that? M eighty three. I don't uh, know. It's a it's a French group called M eighty three. I listen to uh, Andrew Bird's uh, instrumentals. I listen to um, just about anything. But once it starts to have words, uh, that interferes with my um, sort of my brain shift. Right. Uh, when you do art, you sort of use the side of your brain that is not the side that you speak and communicate and listen mm-hmm. to words with. It's more of your right brain, sort of intuitive brain. And if there's a lot of speaking around you, it sort of breaks that um, spell, mm. I think. Do you – does the – tone of the music or the vibe of the music match in some way what's going on on the canvas? Nah. Nah. No. But I have uh, been in the middle of a painting and heard a piece of music and said that, you know, that's why a lot of my paintings are uh, named after songs. Fascinating. Um, uh, uh, Do you sing? Are you a singer around the house? Uh, do you sing? Only to my kids and my cat. <laughs> okay, only to your kids and your cat and your husband probably. No, no not even wow, him. Wow, there's a line there. No, he's a yeah. critic. <laughs> wow, that's funny. You know, it's funny because I was always so shy about singing and then Gwen was born and then I could just sing to her. And, yeah. you know, no matter how old she gets, I can just totally we can sing together and have oh, a great yeah. time. And there's like – I love that. There's some magic thing happening there. That's true, yeah. Um, so I guess karaoke is probably not on your on your list. <sighs> Karaoke is a secret fascination of mine that I have yet to do, and I want to do it so bad, but you're going to have to get me so drunk to well, do it. you know, it. I just had an idea. We should at some point, like on our year anniversary, invite all our guests that we've had on the show together for karaoke. Three songs karaoke. <laughs> I'm there. I've already got my first one picked. <laughs> Mark the calendar, Richard. Okay. Um, let's move on to your second song. What is okay. it? Um, let's see. Is which one are we going on? The King of Spain. Oh, the King of Spain. And uh, so, who is this? Uh, what do you want to tell a story? What do you how do you want to set it up? Well, um, yeah, King of Spain is just it's kind of a fun song. Uh, it's by the tallest man on earth, which is I know very little about him. I've I've heard I think an album or two of his. Um, I originally heard him when my daughter uh, was playing music when she was a teenager. Um, I just liked him. Yeah. He's got a real interesting energy. He does, yeah. And uh, he's got a big raspy voice and 
he sort of lets it fly. Oh, you know? he totally does. Yeah. And he's a little guy. That's what's so funny about, yeah, the t- <laughs> tallest man on earth. He's like, yeah, I don't know what the I The shortest quote. guy on stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so do you have a story you want to tell or do you want to just listen to it and then we can reflect on it? Um, I can tell the story. Okay, let's hear it. Well, um, the the story behind it or the reason I like it so much, every time I hear the song I think of it, um, was that uh, – a few years back when my kids were sort of oh, – my daughter was college age. I think my son Robert was um, in his last year of high school. And we had gotten to that point as parents where our kids were no longer uh, – I, I don't want to say burden, a responsibility. They were a pleasure. Right. Pleasure to be around. They were smart. They were funny. Um they clean up after themselves, you know, just awesome. So we took a trip out to uh, Colorado and Wyoming. We did a big road trip from Denver all the way up to Jackson Hole. And uh, that particular night we were staying in um, – uh, forgot the name of the town. But uh, it's the town where Stephen King wrote The Shining. Okay. And we were coming down out of the mountains after a day of hiking and having a great time. And uh, the kids were funny. And we took so many pictures that day and we had so much fun. We didn't do much of anything except hike through the woods, but best day ever. And my husband and I, my husband was driving and and that song came on the radio or or on the iPod. (laughs) And... uh, I found myself sort of tapping along to it, and I heard the kids in the back singing along to it, and I started singing along to it. My husband thinks we're all crazy, um, but but there's this, there's this sort of rollicking uh, cadence to the music yeah. that just the probably the altitude got to us, but we were having a ball, and we were going down the mountain, and we were singing this song at the top of our voice, and. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're not a good singer with that song because the singer has a big, raspy, loud voice. And um, So we were just going down the mountain on our way to Stephen King's Shining Hotel where we might die. And, <laughs> and what kind of car were you in? I uh, like to paint a picture. Let's see. I think it was an SUV. It was a rental. <laughs> oh, okay. In a rental SUV. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's hear it. Let's imagine that. This is The King of Spain by the tallest man on earth from his 2010 album, The Wild Hunt. I never knew I was a lover. Cause I steal the things you hide Just cause I focus while we're dancing on Just cause I offered you a ride Still I am not from Barcelona No, I am not even from Madrid I am a native of the Norfolk And I could mess up any kid finish there that I was wondering if you guys knew was, the song well enough that you guys could yes. all crescendo together oh yes <laughs> um, we were screaming out the windows at that point <laughs> and and Bob thought you were crazy he's used to us <laughs> yeah I figure um, uh, have you ever heard his song I think it's called gardener it's another song of his I- He's got this great version of it where he just – before he was very big, he would set up and do these little videos where he would just record himself. And he like went up to the top of a mountain and the sun's setting behind him. And it's just a camcorder sitting there and he's just playing to a camcorder with the sun setting behind him and it is like – Striking, you know, the okay. dude is striking. I will send you a link. To I that. have my homework. Okay, yes. Um, <laughs> so um, you you say you play songs as you're strolling across the estates off your phone. When was the last time you bought music with a physical form? Oh, um, well, does that count? iPods count or just no? Albums? I'm talking like a you know a CD, an album, a vinyl, oh, or yeah. an eight uh, track for nostalgia's sake. I buy a, 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 a conical. What did he have? Edison, um, the, the round thing, phonograph cylinder. Yeah, cylinder. 
<laughs> and then he uh, graduated to the Diamond Disc, uh, which was the early big, thick, fat record. Right. Um, but uh, as far as something in physical form, the last thing I just bought uh, about a month ago, I guess, um, I bought some albums okay. uh, in the thrift shop. Good old Salvation Army. So you have uh, a functioning record player at home? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I bought some uh, old Herb Alpert for my son and some uh, – um, I think I found an old The Band uh-huh, album. Uh-huh. Take a load off Annie. The Band has been featured on this show. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that I found an old album and um, uh, uh, I, I found some really obscure – um, Brazilian jazz for okay. my son again. Um, I'm always finding that I, I find more music for him than I do for myself. You know, I find old Lead Belly and uh, he's into music that, you know, is more obscure. I guess being a musician, he has a... What kind of musician a, is a, he? Oh, what kind of musician isn't he? Oh, he's, a, he's all the musician. <laughs> he's the kid... Uh, a couple of years back, if you ever got serenaded downtown by a kid with a ukulele, that was him. That was how okay. he made high school money. Uh, he just – he picked up music and never put it down and uh, he um, he plays with a couple of bands uh, up at Pointy Bell. Okay. Um, he's got a bunch of band friends and, and uh, he plays the ukulele. He plays the guitar, plays the banjo, plays pretty much anything with, with strings. Cool. You know. Um, I, I, I've been playing ukulele for years and Gwen has sort of watched me play it and she's picked it up a few times. Well, within the last few months, she's like, she's taking it seriously suddenly. <laughs> and, you know, you can go a long way very quickly. Yeah. And, you know, some people can anyway. And she's suddenly just owning it and just singing. That's and, great. I mean, it's, oh, I didn't want to force it on her, but you yeah. know, no, here it comes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what about you music? Did you, do, do you, do you play the ukulele too? <laughs> I played for a very brief shining moment in grade school, I played the guitar for the um, the church. Oh, uh, there again, I went to Catholic school, so we had to go to mass every. I think it was Wednesday or something. I think there was one day of the week where we started the day with mass, mm-hmm. and they would have all the kids uh, get to pick the music and play the music. So we were always trying to fit pop songs and say, "Yeah, they're spiritual. Yeah, we should definitely play John Lennon's Imagine in church." You know. And uh, for the most part, they were they were pretty cool about it. And we played the guitar, and I wasn't really that good. Yeah, I I'm a, I'm an appreciator of music. My and you weren't driven to fight it until you were. I that was my problem. I wanted desperately to be a musician, but I was lazy and didn't want to go through the trouble that it took. Yeah, and um, uh, my I come from a a very musical family. My grandfather was a musical genius. He played with um, all of the great Chicago jazz artists in the 1920s. Hmm. And um, he he was estranged from the family for a long time. He was an alcoholic, but yet managed to always have it together to, to play with some of the great jazz musicians. And um, it sort of skipped over my generation, I think, and it, and it caught speed up again with my son. Hmm. And, and my daughter, too. She plays cello. Hmm. And uh, so, um, but no, I just, I just didn't have it. Didn't you know, have the discipline. Um, you know, to to you, you must have had the discipline with the art then, because yeah. you don't get to just jump to the end of the line with that either, right? So I guess yeah. that was something that you put the time in. Yeah, you, well, you're still a, putting the time in, probably, but you know what I mean. I had a good teacher who who taught me really well, and that made all the difference in the world. When when someone can explain to you, you know how it is that you get to a point with a painting where you just want to throw it away and start over, that's the point that the painting begins, you know. Um, I call it the dark night of the soul. Um, You paint and you think it's going to be really easy to finish this painting and then you get halfway into it and you say, I hate this painting. I don't ever want to see it again. It's the worst painting I've ever made. And then the next day you get up and you begin the painting. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way of looking at it. And there's a couple other realms in life that I think that applies to, too. There's a universal truth to that, I I think. I think that's a creative arc. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I've definitely been, I don't paint, but I've certainly been at this sucks. Wait a second. 
Now we can go. Ah. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, okay, so um, where are you at musically today as far as modern music? Do you listen to anything that's uh, out there, or are you just listening to your favorites from the world? I have, I have a few. Um, I, I just recently bought um, a, a Diplo. Don't don't get yeah yeah I just uh, I just recently got uh, a song by Diplo and Sia and oh, I forgot the other guy's name it's LSD is their group name um, <laughs> I love the Gorillas um, Andrew Bird uh, if I could paint like anyone sings it would be Andrew Bird who is Andrew Bird I don't know Andrew Bird. Andrew Bird, you'll you'll note you'll recognize a lot of his music because uh, he does instrumentals as well as music. He he sings. Um, he's a he's a also a master whistler, which makes him sound really boring. But um, oh no, I'm I'm down with master whistler. Uh, <laughs> I think he's wonderful. I saw him in concert last year up in Minneapolis, and uh, it was a moment for me. He he also uses a an invention of his that looks like an old phonograph in his concerts and his live performances. It spins on a wheel and it creates this odd uh, – oh, I don't even know what you want to call it. Um, but it, it changes the sound in a live performance in the most amazing way. Um, in fact, there's my T-shirt. Oh, wow. My yeah. concert T-shirt. Um, but he has a great, uh, a great couple of songs. Lusitania is a beautiful song. He, he sort of uh, – Oh, I don't even know what you want to call it, but he's a violinist, just stunning violin, and he's also a wonderful vocalist. He he sings about so many different things that I can't even really. Uh, he used to uh, be the head singer of the Squirrel Nut Zippers. Okay, if you're uh, yeah, with I'm him. familiar with them. He started out being kind of campy and. Uh, silly with the Squirrel Nut Energetic. Zippers. Energetic, yeah. <laughs> but the stuff he does now is is. Uh, is just amazing. Interesting. Uh, a couple of songs like Dan's Carib, uh, I would recommend that if you hadn't heard it, and uh, Lusitania. Um, that can be my homework. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you saw him in concert. What was your first concert? Like real concert? Uh, my first concert was, I believe, Journey. Really? Journey. And um, wow. I have a cool story behind that. I don't know if we have time for that, but. Well, what's the short version? Short version is that it was Halloween. Okay. And everybody that went to the concert hall there in Mobile, Alabama, um, went in con- uh, went in costume. And of course, in those days, I don't know if they still do, but you always showed up about three hours early and you walked around the auditorium. You did your rounds, making friends and looking for boys and the scene. Uh, the scene, yeah. And uh, there was these there was these guys that were dressed as the uh, Wolfman. Dracula, um, the creature from the Black Lagoon, and the Mummy. Okay. The most amazing concerts you'd ever uh, uh, costumes you've ever seen, and everybody kept coming up to him, going, "Hey, man, great costume! Oh my gosh!" You know, and we'd talk to him for a few minutes, and then we'd go back around the auditorium, and we'd meet them coming when we were going, and oh man, there they are again, those guys with those amazing costumes, and there again, we'd walk up to him, awesome costume, man. Well, who gets on the stage? But the wolf at the man. Opener. And, which one but was Steve Perry? Steve Perry and uh, oh gosh, which one was Steve? Perry? I think he was Dracula. <laughs> he would make a good. They Dracula. all came out on stage in costume, and the entire Mobile Auditorium erupted because everybody realized that they had had a chance to meet the guys from Journey, and either they did and they were happy about it, or they had they missed were that right chance there and, and they were ticked. That's hilarious. Uh, that was my – that may have been the second time I saw Journey, but Journey was my first concert. How, were there any Journey songs that almost made it onto your your top three yes, list? Yes. Yeah. Um, the Winds of March. Oh, and, I don't think I know that one off the top of my head. Uh, that – yep. And uh, Don't Stop Believing, of course. Uh, but they were more just good memories. Right. Um, laying out in the pier. Uh, that was – when you live that far out in the country and you're a teenage girl, the best you can do is just work on your tan every day. So uh, we had our our cassette tapes and we'd take our towel and our sunscreen and go down to the pier on the bay and um, 
work on our suntans all summer long, listening to music and playing backgammon. <laughs> My sister and I, uh, Rosie and I, we, we played backgammon. And, you know, you can play a short, friendly game of backgammon or you can play a long, mean one. Yeah. <laughs> we had long, mean games of backgammon. We listened to uh, Journey and Toto and, uh, gosh, Blue Oyster Cult. There you go. <laughs> Oh, that sounds like uh, you painted a nice picture there, painter <laughs> Megan. Um, okay, let's move on to your third song. Okay. What is it? Uh, Shambhala. And it's uh, Three Dog Night? By the Three Dog Night, yeah. Do you want to listen to it and then talk or you decide? That's a long song. Maybe we'll we'll talk about it. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it, uh, it had very few like early memories of this song other than just it being on the radio. I think it was in 2015 or so, maybe 2016. I was working on a few paintings, and I had the chance to go back home to Pensacola. Um, I, at the time, had done a few paintings for a a group called the uh, Florida Wildlife Corridor. And their job that they were, or their expedition, I should say, was to walk across Florida and to sort of travel across Florida the way an animal would, um, encountering all the obstacles along the way. Right. How is a bear going to get to higher ground or how is a panther going to find enough territory to hunt? So they they did this great thing where they started down in the Everglades and they went all the way across the state of Florida on foot. There was a PBS documentary made on it. but. Um, through the years as they were working on this project, they did fundraising and, and um, I got a chance to do some paintings for them and uh, help them with a few of their fundraisers. And uh, it wasn't – I didn't have a very big part in the whole thing, but, but it was – oh, it was awesome. So uh, the Florida Wildlife Corridor had finished their expedition and they were about to make landfall at the very far end of Florida, which happens to be Perdido Bay. Hmm. And they had asked me about it a few times. They said, you know, well, where's the best campground? And, you know, how can we, you know, make this work seamlessly at the very end of our expedition? And I gave them a few ideas for places to go and things to see. But uh, And they took it from there and they did a fabulous job. So they were planning on making landfall. And uh, I, I decided I would like to go up there and be there on the beach when they when they landed. And uh, that was great. I traveled up there alone, which I don't never do. I don't normally do. I usually travel with my husband. And um, I, at the time, did not realize it, but my dad ended up in the hospital the day I got there. And he was very sick. And so in some ways it was um, it was fortuitous because I had the chance to visit my dad. And uh, my dad was always estranged from the family. My parents were divorced and even though he lived in the same town as us, we didn't, you know, he had his family and, you know, we didn't really talk. It wasn't any bad blood. It just sort of was like nothing, you mm-hmm. know. And so it was a blessing in that I had a chance to not say goodbye because I didn't know he was dying at the time, but um, I had the chance to uh, resolve a lot of things with him. But I also had a wonderful time. I stayed with my sister Kathy and saw all her kids were great. And um, I was working on a bunch of paintings. So we finished up with the Wildlife Corridor, had a wonderful time, went home. And the night I got home, I had this uh, really weird dream. I had been working on paintings all week, a really big painting, in fact. And um, I... It wasn't a regular dream. It was just a message, like a, you know, here's what you're supposed to do. Hmm. And the message was, uh, although it seems like everything's going along normally and just boring old everyday stuff, things have changed. Everything about everything has changed. And if you don't pay attention, you're going to miss it. And that was the message from the universe in my dream. And I thought, okay, whatever, you know. I have a lot of weird dreams, so I don't listen to every dream I have or, you know. and uh, But I was working on these paintings, and the very next morning after that, 
while I was working on the painting, which was just a bunch of fish. You know, I, I really didn't have a whole lot of anything down on the canvas other than just a bunch of pretty fish. And this song, Halls of Shambhala, came on. And I remember thinking, dang, that's an old song. That's a blast from my past. I hadn't heard that song in 15 years. So I was enjoying it. And the next day, I was watching YouTube and... You know how YouTube will sort of – Like feed you up stuff? Yeah. After you listen to what you wanted to listen to, it yeah. starts suggesting. And, you know, two hours later, it, it pulls up and starts playing the Halls of Shambhala again. I thought, whoa, listen to that. I, I heard that song twice in less than 24 hours. And then the very next day, I got in the car and it was my husband's car and my iPod didn't sync up with it. So I wasn't listening to iPod and what comes on the radio but that song. Hmm. So I started paying attention after the third time and uh, I said, you know, there's got to be a connection here. And I went back to the canvas and kept working on the canvas and I started to notice that the canvas, all of the things that I put in the canvas, suddenly I, I sort of went, wait a minute, everything in this canvas is, is, is in transition or migrating. The fish, you know, the tarpon were migrating. The, there was monarch butterflies on the canvas that were mi migrating. There was birds flying over the water that were migrating. There was um, actually uh, cow nose rays in the painting. Well, cow nose rays are one of the greatest migrators in the world when it comes to undersea migrations. And I thought this whole painting is about migration and change. And then I remembered that song. And so I said, you know, I've got to Google Shambhala, I got to know what this means. And I Googled it, and you should never Google a 2,000-year-old word and expect a single answer. Mm -hmm. but, but, but the story I got, the Google that I chose to listen to, was the Shambhala in Sanskrit is a, is a perfect place, a place where enlightened individuals go. And depending on the person in, in Hindu, uh, in Tibetan Buddhism or in Hindu, it's a place in the sky or under the mountain um, where there is a replica of every living thing on earth is replicated underground or in the sky in this perfectly uh, shaped kingdom that's shaped like a lotus. And um, when something goes through transition on in the regular earth, down below the counterpart begins to glow and rise. And when that happens, uh, the earth sends out or the universe sends out a spiritual advisor to advise that person as they're going through this difficult change in their life. And I, I, uh, I thought, well, that's what I'll name that painting, Halls of Shambhala. Well, what I didn't realize is that almost immediately when that painting was done, my life just absolutely changed. My daughter got married and moved away. My son graduated college and moved away. Um, we sold our house so fast that it terrified us because suddenly the house we had lived in for 20 years was, was sold and had to be uh, – we had to find new lodgings. And uh, it ended up that I had the opportunity to buy – the house that uh, I had been going to for years, my mentor, the man who taught me how to paint, uh, Carl Schwartz, um, had passed away. And his widow um, was trying to sell her house at the same time that we found ourselves to be in one month's time homeless. So we went from, you know, boring life to shrieking, worried, how are we going to uh, – you know, find a place to live. And then the very next moment, we had purchased this house, which has fish ponds, four koi ponds. <laughs> One of them is actually the size of a I've lake. been there. I was there You've before. You've been there, okay. I was there before it was your house well, once. I woke up. Talk about a magical place. On the very first day that I went back to work after moving into that house, um, got in my car, turned on my radio. And the halls of Shambhala was playing, and I listened to the words, and it was it was so funny because it 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 
the song talks about seeing the light in other people. Uh, how does your light shine, you know? And it also asks you how your light shines. How do you, um, how do you make yourself available to the universe? How does uh, how you live your life does it, does it shine a light? Does it allow other people's light to shine as well? And um, I, I loved those words about that. But I woke up that morning and I listened to that song and I said, "My God, my entire life has just changed in." a short three months' time, four months' time. And then I remembered that dream that I had, and I remembered that whoever it was that gave me that message said, everything about your life is going to change, and if you don't pay attention, you're going to miss it. So uh, that that's my new mission in life, is to try to pay attention. Pay attention to everything and everyone, and it's hard sometimes, especially for me. I'm a Believe it or not, I'm an introvert. And, oh, I believe uh, it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I try really hard to uh, see the light in others, and, and hopefully they'll see the light in me. And, and uh, I think that's really the only thing that's going to save us in this world. I really do. Let's listen to this song together. Uh, this is Shambhala by Three Dog Night from the 1973 album Cyan, Like the Color. Wash away my troubles. Wash away my pain with the rain and Shambhala Wash away my sorrow, wash away my shame with the rain and Shambhala When was the last time you listened to that prior to right now? Oh boy! Had it had it re- recurred again? Actually, in listen, the intervening or or listening while preparing? Yes, exactly. I I uh, actually pulled it up again to make sure I wasn't imagining things wrong. <laughs> I, I I do want to give a little shout out to the cowbell in that song. <laughs> Great cowbell. You know, I um as far as I'm aware, that's the first time I've really heard that song. I mean, maybe it's been on the background in my world at some point in my yeah. life, but that was the first. I don't listen to these prior. I get to you know just experience yeah. it. And what's so cool about this process is that now that we've been doing it for a while, if I hear that song again or when I hear that song again, I'm going to remember this and I'm going to remember your stories. It's like it spreads somehow. Like I, I, I hear songs now that guests have chosen and like it'll happen at work and Richard and I will immediately look at each other and be like, oh, that's, you know, that's Bob's second song. Yep. You know, so it's so cool how music does that. I mean, there's something really... I think I think awesome in, about that. In this age of iPods and headphones, I don't think we share enough music with people, and I'm really glad that you've come up with this idea. And and that was why I was so excited to, you know, ask you if you know oh, could I possibly be on this? <laughs> um, because you know, every everybody nowadays has their show that they watch and their music that they watch. And back in the old days. Everybody listened to Pink Floyd. Everybody listened to Frank Sinatra. Uh, whether you loved him or hated him, you were kind of stuck listening to him when the radio was on. And, yeah, it was like um, fabric of the yes. – of... And I think in some ways it, it, it united us. And I think if there's anything wrong right now socially with our lives is that we don't, we don't share enough stories and music and um, – uh, experiences and when we do have those chances we should really treasure them and you can say what you want about millennials but the one thing the millennials have invented is breweries <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so happy that the millennials have figured out how to come together even if it's for Friday night over beer and if you go out to Fort Myers Brewing or, or Pointy Bell or you know I, I Old soul, I'm going to give a shout out to the ones that I can think of on the top of my head, but millennials are getting it right. And uh, God, I wish I was young again so I could do that all over again. 
Do you spend a lot of time out on the town? No, no. I'm kind of a homebody. Um, I do I do go once in a while out to Old Soul to see my son play. Right. Or um, Is he uh, in a band that has a name? Well, he's – He's having to concentrate on school because he's he's in starting the engineering program at FGCU here and, in, and he's in the math phase of it and it's kicking his butt. But he's excelling, which also means that he can't be playing in a band right now. But he was gotcha. part of the Swanee Swing oh. um, uh, guys yeah. with, with Hunter Dolan. Swanee and, Swing Set uh, or whatever. Is Swanee that, Swing Saloon. Swanee Swing Saloon, yeah. right. And um, he loves swing music. My – my brother-in-law is a gypsy jazz uh, player hmm. in the old Django Reinhardt tradition, and he is fabulous. And he's uh, given my son a lot of pointers, and uh, my son really looks forward to when they come and visit because uh, it's it's gypsy jazz all the time. You know? Right. <laughs> he starts listening to music about about a day and a half before Mark comes to visit, and get up uh, to speed. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so, so he's just pretty much taken the European swing tradition and uh, and and made the Americanized version of it, which is country swing. Huh. You know, and, uh, and he'll give you a million different historical references that I don't know, but uh, uh, you can usually find him at Old Soul one night of the week. You cool. Know. We'll have to check that out. Um, you mentioned listening to Journey on a tape. Did you ever go through a mixtape world phase? I was a little old for mixtapes. I was wondering if that was on the edge or not. We did make tapes, um, but we didn't share them with each other like that so much. Right. I'm old enough to remember when you took your cassette tape and held it up to the radio on Saturday mornings uh, with the Casey Kasem. Right. The little top yeah, twenty or yeah. whatever. So you were weren't rec- yeah. You didn't even have the radio and the cassette player in the same machine. No, no. You were holding the mic up to the speaker. And we would we would. We great, great audio fidelity transfer during that process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, well, you know, it made me not picky in my older days because uh, if I could hear it, you know, and the dog wasn't barking over the top of it, then, you know, that was good recording. <laughs> um, are there any songs that you will always turn off if they come on the radio? Oh, God. I want to lose so many friends here. Madonna. Oh, yeah? Um, Just universally Madonna? Yeah. Uh, Madonna. Anything super sad or super violent? Uh, I love the Decemberists. Oh, I oh man! I am a huge Decemberist fan. That one album of theirs, uh, but I listen to it over and over and over when I'm making art. That's my making arts album. But you know that there's some songs on that album. He he loves to write about historical moments in time. He's, mm-hmm. he's very big on history and um, Colin Malloy, and um, he's got some that talk about murder uh-huh. and about. Horrible people doing horrible things. And when those songs come on, I just can't do it. He's too good at what he does. He paints such a picture musically that uh, I was listening to a song one time when I was going to do a a, um, a commission job for a, a man whose wife was dying of cancer and he wanted a mural painted on her wall as she laid in her what – was what was her deathbed? And I really didn't want to do this job. But my mother sort of pinned me down to it because it was a good friend of the family. And uh, I was <laughs> listening to some really sad songs on the way to do the job. I had to do the job quickly because the woman was very ill. And I spent the whole day painting the mural. And her children, she had two small children at the time. It broke my heart to understand what was happening. And the children were diverted by helping me paint that day. And so I kind of felt like maybe I had given those kids something to think about other than the fact that their mom was in the other room. And I wasn't there when he showed it to her. I was glad I wasn't there. But um, it was a family tree that was done in a like a large tree, and it had all of the family members on it. And um, she died a few days later. And uh, uh, that song, Crane Wife, uh, by the Decemberists, I can't. I can't yeah, listen just to that destroys song without you. thinking her. And, uh, you know, so I was glad I did it. I think it meant a lot to the family. Um, but, boy, I didn't want to do it. But I was glad I did it, hmm. you know. Um, all right, last question. If you could only have one album to listen to, what would it be? Um, boy, you hit me hard with that one. Uh, gosh. I think 
probably the one that's most played on my um, my iPod, which is Andrew Bird's. Uh, it's the album with Give It Away on it. But if I could paint like Andrew Bird plays music, I would be the greatest artist that ever was. I, I dig him so much. Well, now I'm definitely going to have to listen to him. <laughs> All right. Um, that's your homework. Yeah, that's my homework. Um, any final thoughts, Megan? Oh, gosh. Not really, other than um, just uh, thank you for this. This was awesome. Um, and I don't know, if do you charge extra for the therapy or <laughs> – <laughs> no, you know you're not the first. Uh, you're not the first person to make that joke. So no, we don't. But we uh, we do um, appreciate what the process this is, and and I thank you for doing it. Thank you. <laughs> we make this show in the WGCU studios on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chin Kui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is our online content producer. Christophus is our executive producer. Our groovy theme music was created by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. My parting tune this week takes me back to the early 90s in downtown Fort Myers at the Indigo Room on a random weeknight. One of my sister's friends, a girl named Tanya, had just gotten back from a stretch in Alaska. Not entirely sure what she'd been doing there, probably theater related. While there, she'd befriended a band called the Denali Cooks and had convinced them to come to Fort Myers. Memory is vague here. Not sure if they were on a tour or that her prettiness and sweetness, because she had more than plenty of both, was behind their playing a gig at a bar nearly 5,000 miles from home. Anyway, they were stupendously entertaining, and I bought their self-made CD and listened to the heck out of it for years, with several songs sticking in my rotation until this very day. Upon recalling this memory for this parting tune, I googled them for the first time in ages, and sure enough, they're still together. They've got a Facebook group with 1,400-ish followers, billing themselves as Alaska's favorite band, exclamation mark. The first video that pops up on their page is them playing this song, just like they did at the Indigo that night I first saw them play, to just a few dozen people because it was an unplanned weeknight show. Here's It's Good by the still-around-to-this-day Alaska-based Denali Cooks. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. Oh, I'm glad I'm not Richard M. Nixon. That's a job I'd hate to do, because if I were Richard M. Nixon, I'd have to hang around with Spiro Agnew.